All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another week of the Rec Poker Forums Edition podcast. I'm Jim Reed. I'm your host, Bluffsterini in the home games and at Jim in the Rec.Poker Forums. I'm joined by this panel of wizards again. Andrew, lead us off. I'm Andrew Feist. I'm dealer 412 in the Poker Stars home game. Uh, two left to bl- uh, of Blusterini right now. Uh-oh. And uh, <laughs> my uh, tag in the forums is at Andrew. Uh, and I'm Chris Jones. I'm 5x5 five five, uh, in the forums and on Poker Stars and 5b5 on Twitter. I'm John Somsky and I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Rob Washam and I'm Radman50 everywhere. And Taylor Moss is here as well. Uh, in the home games, I'm Gopher Boy TJM, but on the forums, I am Taylor Moss. And just like every week here on the forums edition, we're going to take one discussion post from the Rec.Poker forums and sort of tease it out here in audio format. And just like every week, some of us are battling it out in the home game against each other. Those of us that still have a few chips desperately trying to make it to the final table to win that bronze rec dot poker pin and a chance at the tournament of champions. So this week we are dealing with a post by Jamel, uh, another one of our prolific uh, forum posters. Jamel has been part of rec poker for a little longer than um, Binkley and ARW, which were a couple of the last posters that we were talking about over the last few weeks. And uh, Jamel plays a lot of cash games, so he has a spot close to my heart. And uh, Jamel, we were so close to getting up to that playground road trip before this global pandemic was inconsiderate enough to get in our way. But never fear, buddy, we are going to make that happen. Anyone else who wants to drive up to Montreal sometime soon without having to wear a face mask when the time comes, get on board. That's going to be a lot of fun. So Jamel uh, writes in a hand from a cash game max value bet sizing and because jamel is an excellent human he has added a few tags to this post when he put it in the rec.poker forums so it is tagged river sizing and value so we're in, uh, i guess they're down to three-handed here at the end of his uh, cash game i know uh, jamel runs a home game that might be where this is from the stakes are 10 cent 20 cent blinds and there's 31 dollars effective Both villains are winning players that do not bluff much and can fold in big spots. Button in particular seems to overfold to big bets when I have it, but can also call down to bluff catch when draws miss. We're in the big blind with eight of spades, seven of diamonds. The button opens to 70 cents, which is two, uh, three and a half big blinds, small blind calls, and we make a wide call completing the action. You're right, it is a little wide, but we're getting good odds, and 7-8 offsuit is, uh, I think, a defensible call there, given, given the action. There's $2.10 in the pot. The flop comes 6 of clubs, 3 of hearts, 9 of clubs. The small blind checks, our hero checks, and the button checks. Oh, sorry, the button bets $1, which is an overbet. Is that right? No, sorry, half pot. I'm really doing great here, guys. The home game is a little distracting. Uh, the turn, there's five bucks in the pot, six of clubs, three of hearts, nine of clubs, four of spades, check, check, check. And then the river brings the five of spades. So the final board 
six of clubs, three of hearts, nine of clubs, four of spades, five of spades. There's $5.10 in the pot. Small blind checks to the hero. The button is still to act. So Jamel says, pre-flop, the raise is not too large. There's a call and I'm closing action. Um, I agree, you've got reasons to call there. On flop, I think the button uh, C-bets, sorry, I just lost my spot here. I think the button C-bet takes it down most of the time. Small blind calling makes me think he has some draw or a small piece of the flop to continue, but not to raise with an open-ended draw seeing like an easy call and evaluate turn action. So I don't know if Jamel is maybe getting a little too focused on the range that he thinks the uh, small blind might have there, but um, that's a good analysis. Turn, some small straight draws could get there or one pair of hands could pick up a draw. I check to call, assuming the button will continue. And then on the river, he says, we got there, but the pot's not as big as we would have liked. We don't want to risk getting it checked around again, but against this thinking button, I think he falls to a large bet. Jamel considers going pot-sized or 1.5 pot to make it look like a missed flush draw trying to bluff or to target a smaller straight that got there but would not bet too big. I consider going smaller, around three bucks, to look like a block bet that can easily be raised if one of the opponents has a straight or a set but won't scare away over pairs from calling. So the question is, how would you get max value here? When do you like a large sizing? When do you like a small sizing? When do you check to check raise? What are the factors that you're considering there? And uh, just to, uh, let me see, eight, seven. So basically it's the turn, it's the rivered nuts. And how do you get paid with it? I'm looking at this as really wondering what the range of the button is at this moment in time. Um, the board, didn't get any better for the normal hand ranges that he would have on the turn and he shut down. He didn't, you know, he didn't continue betting. So what does he got? He got an ace king and he made a stab and now he's done. Um, you know, how much value are you actually gonna be able to get with that? You know, does he have ace nine? So he's got top pair. You know, we don't really know what he's got right now but it doesn't seem like it's as much as you would like to be able to get a lot of value with a big bet. So I would be looking at probably maybe three quarters of a pot bet, make it look like, uh, you know, just make it look like, hey, you know, it might be something that he could call with maybe an over pair like tens or jacks, maybe an ace nine. He might just say, okay, well, I can call three quarter size bet. And then you get some value with it. I just don't, it just doesn't seem like anybody's got any strength there that you could really get that much value. Yeah, it, it, one thing to keep in mind is this is a, a cash game. So in a tournament, you might be a little more inclined to bet smaller. Try harder to get called in order to reduce your variance. It's important to get um, chips in a tournament and you don't wanna lose that opportunity. However, since it's a cash game, you really want whatever is the maximum value play if you were to run this same spot a thousand times. Meaning sometimes you may get more value, but sometimes you might get nothing. Um, so that would tend me to, to lead me towards a larger size bet, but you do have the problem that as Rob said, it doesn't look like anyone has much of anything. 
So then it becomes a little bit difficult to figure out exactly what to do in this particular position. It also is different in that it sounds like it's a group of players he's played with a lot. In small stakes online games, you can often do a huge overbet and people just won't believe you. And they'll call you with weaker holdings than they would call a normal sized bet. However, that does not work as well if the players actually know you, if that's not part of your normal game. So one thought I have about value on this, um, and I'd be curious what others think, but um, this is a board that is going to, uh, certainly it's going to hit small blind. Uh, it's not, I mean, but anybody this board can hit, but it, it, it really does favor us the most of anyone. Um, and not only that, we have a pretty strong draw and we can represent clubs if they come. So we, it's one of those situations where there's two draws on the board. We have one of them locked up, but we can also potentially represent uh, the other one when it comes. Now we have to see what other action is and we're multi-way. Um, all of which um, argues for me that I wanna sort of thin the herd on this flop um, because I've got a strong hand and because um, I, I, you know, I think button is just, is just continuing with a lot of their range um, and is quite likely to have missed this small blind. I'm potentially more worried about, but they can have a lot of misses as well. Um, and I think a, a, a check raise here, not only uh, likely gets us heads up, but it also um, gets us potentially that if when we do hit our draw, we're not in this position on the river of how do we possibly get value? Because we've already not only maybe take the pot down here, but also started to build a pot that for when we do hit our draw, um, we're much closer to getting, you know, stacks in basically. So I, I'm, ad, I'm advocating uh, on this kind of a flop with this kind of texture when we're multi-way that we, we want to, that even though like I, there's the counter argument is, you know, some of our straight draws are not clean outs, right? Cause there can be a club straight um, that comes, which is certainly something to consider. And we don't have a club in our hands. So we don't block any kind of club draws, um, but I'm, I'm still probably check raising this. And if I, if I get called by two players, I'm shutting down. And if I, uh, if I face further aggression, I'm shutting down, but this is a spot I, I like to take. No, I agree with that. And that's kind of what I was thinking when this, when, when I first saw this flop, that's, that's a perfect flop for, especially this hand in particular, even range too, but just hand in particular is a great flop to check raise on. And, you know, you're, if you know, continue the point trying to get value you're not necessarily losing any value because, you know, it went check, check on the turn. And, you know, if, even if you make a small bet on the river and it folded, if nobody had anything, you're not going to get any value out of those hands anyway. So trying to, you know, bloat the pot a little bit with you with a pretty decent draw and that board's pretty good for your hand. That's probably in this hand specifically is a good way to try and extract value before you get to the river, before you get to the turn. So that's a great point, Chris. Yeah, and I think you also mentioned that you could get it heads up 
if you do a, a check raise on the flop. And I guess <laughs> looking at this hand, the only thing I was looking at is, well, how much do I bet on the river? Um, I didn't really look at, you know, the, the dynamics of the rest of the hand. I think you're absolutely right. A, a check raise on this flop could be the best way to get the best value out of this hand that you could. Um, you're going to like, like Andrew said, like you said, you're going to bloat the, you're going to, you know, you're going to start increasing the flop so that if your draw does hit, uh, you're, you're getting more. Uh, the only issue is when the four of spades hits the turn, what do you do? Your head's up now with a button. You're out of position. Uh, do you continue after your check raise on the flop? By checking back there or checking the turn, it's going to look like exactly what it is. I'm still, I'm on that four of spades turn. I'm, I'm definitely continuing because I oh, have, I have all the sets. Um, I have a lot of two pairs. I have, I, I, this still really favors me. And I think as a button, you're, you're facing a, a check raise, which you call, which, you know, you can have some over pairs here. But uh, it gets it gets really dicey um, to can you know and if we're gonna if we're gonna take this line we we can't just sort of give up uh, unless we get called in by two people I think then we have to potentially give up or if uh, if Button decides to push back a little then I'm gonna have to give up but um, I'm I'm definitely I'm taking a bet on this turn um, and then. We'll see. Well, if you take that line, are you, so let's say you, if, if we take that same line, you check raise the flop, are you getting just called by an overpair? I don't think you would be. You might be facing a, a, another yeah. raise. And so if then I, that would, that would extinct, that would think either they hit like, you know, they have a king nine or something like that. They hit a top pair possibly. This board still favors you, but you're, you might be getting more floats from, you know, king, queen, king, jack, king, ten, those kinds right. of hands instead of, you know, if an overpair I would be thinking would be, would be raising you on your check raise on the flop. So that's where I think you're a little safer to lead out on this particular turn card. Yeah, and he, he has a note in there about pre-flop that the villain tends to open bigger with big hands. So he's already assuming that the villain doesn't have anything like aces, kings, queens, jacks, those types of hands. So um, he might have one of those, like Andrew said, a king nine type hand. And we also, we also, uh, we block the, we block the nuts here. Um, so with our, with our eight, seven, so, um, and we can, I mean, we have eight, seven, we can so easily have seven, five. I, I mean, I just feel like there's so many combinations here that favor us, especially if we get called. I'm more worried if we get called by small blind. If we get called by button, I'm definitely leading out. If I get called by small blind, and then, I mean, if small blind checks, then I'm checking back on this turn. But if I get called by the button, I'm leading out on that check raise. Well, it's definitely, yeah, definitely nicer to be able to play in position against the small blind, especially when their range you know, benefits from that action better than the, the button. So I, I, I like that. And then you get to kind of express your fold equity versus the button more effectively through the check raise. And, and, and just generally speaking, folks, you're not check raising enough. You're not. Uh, <laughs> players that, that are listening to this podcast, players in our home game, um, you're not check raising enough. It, typically when you're check raising, it's with value. And uh, hands like this are the perfect 
way to add some semi-bluff, um, higher equity, lower showdown value kind of hands into your check raising range. So um, I, I love that. I love that analysis. I think uh, Ryan LaPlante mentioned that on uh, last Wednesday night mm. when he went on his tirade. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's really what, you know, he did mention that. He says people just do not check raise enough. Yep. Yep. And, it, and don't get me wrong. Don't go out there and just check raise like a, like a maniac. <laughs> but, but you're There's typically, spots. if you think about it, if you do break it down and if you're using Poker Tracker 4 or something, you can go back and look at the hands that you've check raised. Um, or even just the frequency with which you check raise. And I think you'll find that it's exploitably strong and people can uh, play against you if you don't balance that effectively. Like donking, donking's hard like that too. I'm sure we'll talk about that in uh, the Big Blind uh, seminar that will be available in September. Um, <laughs> and to, to bring us back uh, to kind of like the original question in terms of like when we're on this river, what bet sizing do we go for? Um, I just wanted to bring up that I think the opponent's calling ranges are very elastic depending on the bet size that we choose. Uh, so it, it really essentially warrants this question and kind of makes it a little bit tough to decide because you can say, okay, well, go for uh, a small bet because then you can target, you know, top pairs, uh, some weak two pairs types of hands, or you could go for a medium sized bet and try and target someone that maybe has the two to the bottom end of the straight, or you could go really big and target someone that just has a lone seven where we have the seven, eight uh, for the top straight. So there's a lot of different warrants and uh, merits to each of those options, which is why I think this makes it a really um, interesting discussion. And then we kind of, Chris kind of alluded to it when he was talking about this check race, but uh, I think the small blind range is stronger in this spot. And I think that's kind of who we should be targeting our bets with. And when they check, I think it warrants a slightly smaller bet size because of that. Mm -hmm. Because the button can have a lot of bluffs here where any bet size that we choose, they're just gonna fold. Uh, the only way to get value from the button from those spots then is to check and let them bet behind us, which is a really risky move and probably doesn't make sense. It seems like the small blind has some sort of value. So I, I think something, you know, around half pot size, hoping that the small blind calls is probably the most EV play. But again, a lot of those different options could come up with uh, merits as well. Yeah, I'm typically... I like that. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was, I'm, I'm typically inclined to go for a big bet there because I'm targeting that seven essentially, or maybe even the two, like you say, uh, because most, because when it's so scary like that, most of those one pair, two pair hands aren't going to be calling anyway. So like the, it really comes down to how much more often are you getting called at the smaller sizing um, in the long run, especially in these cash games, like you were saying earlier. Um, once we uh, once we kind of discount the value hands of the small blind, I think that's a great point that there's just fewer sevens in the buttons range. And so sizing down from, you know, theoretically optimal does make a lot of sense. So I like that targeting some of those slightly weaker holdings. Yeah, because I, I, I feel like it, small, I think small blind should be betting if they have a seven here, if they had like a six, seven or some sort of, hand, you know, some hand like that, like they, they really should be leading out on this river. 
So the fact that they don't, I think we, I, I really like what you said there, Taylor. I think we, we have to uh, sort of lower our, our expectations in terms of what we're going to get. Um, you know, I think the, the best case scenario um, is potentially Button has an overpair and calls and then small blind has, a, you know, maybe a two pair and call. So we get two callers. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of threading the needle. But, you know, I think we, we to, in order to get those two callers, we've, we've got to do something around, you know, a, a half pot, maybe a little less. Yeah, that's, that's prophetic. And um, of course, w one of the things that Chris is getting at there is that by the time you get called by the button, um, the small blind is getting such good pot odds on their call that even if they have a marginal holding, they're much more likely to call if the button comes along. So given that we think the button's more likely to have one of those middle strength hands, uh, by value targeting that player, um, we might even get a sort of complementary call out of the small blind with an even weaker holding. But if we bet higher and the button doesn't call, then it's likely that the small blind might even fold that medium strength hand. Um, so I don't want to spoil it if anyone else has some more points they want to make on that before we close it out. But that's exactly what happens. So we go back and forth. There's some great discussion in here. Um, at Steve Fredland uh, makes some comments about sizing. Uh, at Taylor Moss. At ARW gets back involved here. Um, he's with me on the big betting uh, size. And I think I think that's definitely true in a vacuum. He says here specifically, ARW does, when value betting the river, um, it's unrealistic to try and catch both fish uh, because it's just not likely that they're both going to have a hand strong enough to call. And I think that's true. But because it's a cash game, people are less likely to fold because they're just not as worried about uh, making that call. So I think in a cash game, uh, and what ends up happening is Jamel bets about 60% of pot, $3, and they both call and they both muck. So really, I mean, Binkley says here in the, in the write-up, getting two players to call 60% pot bet with a four straight on the board is a great outcome. And yeah, you can't, you can't argue with that. So I think that might actually be the max value line given these exact holdings. What do you think, guys? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Agreed. We, we all agree. <laughs> so nicely done, Jamel. And uh, way to go, everybody in the forums there. That was another fun discussion. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to start putting the links to these posts in our show notes. So you can always just go to the forum and search for the tag podcasted. And all the, uh, all the posts that have been podcasted uh, will come up under that tag. Uh, but you'll also be able to search the uh, show notes for this. So my apologies to Andrew Feist for taking you out of the home game during this uh, conversation. But <laughs> everyone else, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week on the Rec.Poker Forums edition. And thank you to Learn Pro Poker, Website Amp, and Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Good night, everybody.